is it amazing what God has done over the last hundred years? And I am so very blessed to be a part of that. One of the things that we have learned uh, through our existence, our short time of being missionaries, as I say, 100 years, that for a church, that is a short time. And what we have learned is that it is all about, uh, there's a couple terms, but in a book that we use as a reference, it's called the indigenous church. It is all about empowering the nationals, the people of the country that we're going to, to raise up their own church. So it's not our church that we're raising up, it is their church that is being risen up. And then more so, it is God's church that is being risen up. But it is in their voice and in their and who they are. And so we have different pillars uh, that we call the selves because it's uh, different things like self-propagating, uh, self-evangelizing, and so forth and so on. One of the ones that I love is self-theologizing. So we teach and we disciple so that they in turn can read the Bible and say, oh, this is what I see. Because we, as Americans, uh, we like to think we know it all, right? We have the perfect uh, view of what God has to say. Well, I hate to spoil it for you, but Jesus was not American. <laughs> True? Okay. Uh, I'm going to go a little bit deeper and a little bit harsher tonight, because I feel like this group can handle that. So if you're willing to ride with me, we're going to go very deep. And really, we are going to study the entire Bible this evening. <laughs> I am serious. But, uh, once again, I know we're in America, and how we honor one another is with our time. In Cambodia, we honor one another with relationship. So until I feel like that relationship has been honored, I don't move. But here, to honor you and all our schedules, I will honor you by honoring your time, and I hold me to my word, I will be done before seven. Okay, but we will go through into the entire Bible. Why do I say that? One of the first things we learn as missionaries going through training is that we all wear a cultural lens. We all see life in a certain way. Have you ever heard the term rose-colored glasses? Okay, that's just saying that you're tinted in what you see. That's how you view life. That's just saying it's kind of a lovey-dovey eyesight that, that you have. Well, we in the northern part of Minnesota wear the Iron Range glasses. We do. Uh, I would put on more of a thick accent when I'm other places speaking, but I don't have to do that here because we're all in the same boat. So, yeah, never mind. <laughs> uh, we view life through that uh, understanding, and it's not bad. It's just how we are raised uh, and how we are just inherently involved in life. So one of the things we learn is that as a minister in a foreign culture or in a, a cross-cultural context is that we have to break our cultural lens and try to start to see how they see them being the indigenous church, how the national church sees. Otherwise, we're just gonna keep hitting our head against a wall because there's certain things that are underlying, like I mentioned this morning. So, uh, I say that for the example of, we do not start with John 3.16 when talking about the gospel in Cambodia. Does everybody know John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Wonderful, it's a good cornerstone of our faith, right? But, to a Cambodian, it doesn't work. Why? Because when they hear that, in their understanding, in their cultural context, in their view through their lens, God is evil, and Jesus was bad. He had bad karma. Okay, God is evil, he gave his son to die. That's evil. And then Jesus was crucified. So that means he had to have bad karma, or else he would have been crucified. 
So we can't start there. That is not a good launching point for a Cambodian. It's like a shutting the door. Uh, even to the point where we're talking about the disciples, the disciples were bad people because they killed fish. So you have to go through a whole different con cultural context. Mm -hmm. And we, like I said this morning, have to go from a story-based culture. Once again, we are in a topic, Germanic, logic-based culture. They are in a story-based culture. Another wedge in your understanding of yourself and our Christianity. The Middle East was a story-based culture. The Bible, when properly interpreted, and this isn't good hermeneutics, any Bible class will tell you this, you need to interpret the Bible how it was originally written to the people it was originally written to. So, therefore, we have to understand that the Bible was not written as a textbook. It was not written as a logic-based story. It is, in fact, a story written to story people that would see it and understand the story. Now, I have to prerequisite this, or prerequisite this with saying that all of this is coming through my training. Uh, none of this is actually original idea of my own. So if you want to crucify somebody, it's not me. I can give you all my references later. But these have all come from knowledgeable people that are in wonderful places of leadership and have, are much more smart than me. So, uh, I prerequisite that, and here we go. So, with the Cambodian, we have to start at the beginning, because where does any good story start? Mm. Let's start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. Okay. Uh, yes, sound of music. Uh, <laughs> so, we're going to start at the very beginning. That's where a story starts. And Genesis 1-1. What does it say? In the beginning, God. So, in the beginning, God. For a Cambodian who sees life as cyclical, as continuing on over and over and over again, to say, in the beginning, there was God. That already puts kind of a, a thought in their mindset, this is different. But then they can recognize, okay, but then what God? God created. In the beginning, God created. That means this belongs to God. We belong to God. God is the beginning. He is the creator. That establishes who God is for people that do not believe in God. So it's very important. So in the beginning, we start that off. Then what happens? We go through life. We see God creates uh, creation. It is wonderful. Uh, he is very pleased. He's pleased in us as humans. And then what do we do? Sin. We fall short. We sin. And so uh, that happens. Is this outside of the story? No, this is just setting up the story. This is the beginning of the story. We're getting the ball rolling. So he establishes the characters. And then the man comes along. We fall short. He paves a way. He has a plan. He knows what he's going to do. So then we come to uh, a very interesting point in the Bible. It is something that we tell to kids as a happy story. But it is really not. They go two by two into an ark, and then there's massive destruction. God destroys the world. He sees that man has set himself up, saying, I don't need you anymore. That is man saying that to God. I don't need you, God. I can do this on my own. And God's like, okay, I got to do something about this. So let's bring it down. I found Noah. Okay, Noah, here we go. We're going to try again. Well, does that work? 
No. No, but he promised, right? God promised. He gave us the rainbow. We're not going to have the flood. So, but once again, there's another pivotal point in the Bible. And this time, I have never heard a sermon on this, but I believe it is a changing in history, of human history, where the trajectory is changed. And it's so very interesting. Any ideas what that might be? We're after the flood. We're talking about the Tower of Babel. So once again, man says, I can be God. I don't need you. Look what we can do on our own. And God's like, okay, here we go again. We're in this place. Man says it doesn't need me. Same thing happened with Adam and Eve. Well, we can be God for ourselves. Then we get to Noah. Well, we don't need God. And then we get to the Tower of Babel. We're going to build this great monstrosity to ourselves. Because we don't need God. We can do it ourselves. We can reach heaven by our human efforts. So God's like, okay, here we go. What am I going to do? Well, possibly, if I see that they, when they're left to their own devices, they kind of say, we don't need you, God. But if I can break them up into smaller groups, possibly I can do something. So what does he do? He separates their languages. He confuses their languages. And that's where we get the birth of language. So all these different languages, what happens with language? People congregate by language, right? We, as English speakers, will naturally congregate, commune, have, have community with other English speakers. And that's what happened. And so I encourage you, start to look at the Bible and pinpoint every time the word languages, peoples, and different things like that, nations, languages, peoples, are used. It is very significant. Because here is God separating the languages, saying, okay, maybe I can find a people that I can set apart for myself so that they can know me. Right? Because that brings us to Genesis 12. Now, this is what some scholars call the thesis of the Bible. A thesis for the English people, uh, English masters, as my brother is, is a uh, main point of any work. So the main point, they are, this is a really heavy thing, because they are saying, this is the point of the Bible. And that is Genesis 12. Does anybody know that from heart, like John 3.16? No, but such a linchpin in our faith. So let's look at Genesis 12, 2 and 3. It says, I will make you into a great nation. So who is, it, who is he talking to? Abram. Abram. Yes. So this is God. He has found somebody. Now, here's an interesting thought in my mind. Maybe he had gone to other people with other languages and tried, like, hey, will you follow me? Will you follow me? Will you follow me? But then he comes upon Abram. He's like, hey, will you follow me? And what does he say? Yes. yes. So here God creates the covenant. Okay. Now this, is gonna, this might rattle some boats. But how does he do this? He contextualizes. That can be a dirty word to some people because uh, they look at it as a synchronizing. So what contextualization means is he's speaking the language that Abram will understand. Another reoccurring theme throughout the Bible. God speaking in a way that we understand, which is something so amazing when you think about the God of the universe that created everything is so intimate and he knows us and is willing to come down to our level and speak our language of what we see, our cultural lens. He's willing to speak through our cultural lens so that we understood. So with Abram, he took, uh, well, 
it truly is a pagan ceremony, a ceremony that was known in that area uh, of how God would talk to you. And he uses that to show Abram, this is me. This is me talking to you, and I'm creating a covenant with you. And he says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And here in verse 3, this is the main point. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is what is known as the promise. This is God's promise to Abram. Through you, the whole world will be blessed. All peoples, all languages, all nations will be blessed. Okay, so we've established God's covenants. He's fond of people saying, hey, I've chosen you. Let's see what we can do. Okay, so we're moving on. This is the beginning of the story. Then we go through and we get to Exodus. Once again, this is now kind of a changing of tide. And we have Moses getting the law. And he kind of needs to redirect because they've lost sight of who they were. They've spent some time in Egypt. And so God reassures them, recommits to them. And he says, you will be for me. Actually, I'll give you the reference. It is Exodus 19.6 for those looking it up or taking notes. I would highly recommend taking notes because there's going to be a lot of information. If you haven't noticed, I'm more of a teacher than a preacher. So Exodus 19.6 says, You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So that is significant. Why? Well, it's not just saying that, yes, you will have priests in your nation. It is saying you, as a nation, are a priesthood nation. What does that mean? What is the role of a priest? A priest is a stand-between. So, when uh, the Israelites would go to God, a priest would stand between the Israelites and God. And that would be the gap filled by the priest. But here he is saying, no, I'm calling you a priesthood nation. I am reaffirming your identity that through you, the whole world will be, rest, will be blessed. So it's a conduit. Israel is a go-between between God and all those other nations, all those other groups. So this one nation, he signaled them out, saying, maybe I can use you. And they're like, okay, I can see your heart. Now, let's not lose focus. It's not so we can be set apart to be all good and everything. No, it's to be a conduit as a beacon of who God is showing, directing the image back to Christ. They're supposed to look at you and see God. So as a conduit, you are a priesthood nation. Very significant. Okay, so that is how it's, uh, the identity is set up in Israel. What do we get? That is the story. Uh, they kind of lose their way, don't they? But before we get there, we get the poetic books. Do you think we lose the identity in the poetic books? No, if you look at Psalms, and what is Psalms? It is a book... It's like what we did tonight. It's their worship. And what do we see in their worship? God, bless the nations. Help us to let you be known in the nations, to all the peoples, to all the languages. So let's look at Psalm 98.2. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right and holy arm have worked salvation for him. Here's verse 2. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. I love, as you read further on, in verse 6, it gives an imagery of a symphony. So in a symphony, you have all these different instruments. 
or like tonight, we have a piano, we have a guitar, we have drums. They all look different, they all sound different, but they all come together in unity of purpose. The guitar should not sound like piano and vice versa, it should not happen. But when they come together in unity of purpose, it is something powerful. And that is the imagery given in this chapter. All these different sounds coming together for the single unified purpose of worshiping Christ before his throne. I love that because as I go to Cambodia, it's not so that they have the American voice. I think the American voice is good, but then the Cambodian voice is necessary and unique. And it needs to maintain that so that we can have that unified sound and that unified worship at the end of the age. And we will get there and kind of explore that a little bit more as we go. Okay, so then that's the poetic books. You can continue on. I encourage you in your uh, individual devotional time in your study, once again, do a study on languages, peoples, nations, kind of highlight all those, and it will be amazed, especially in the poetic books. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, all that. Okay, so then let's move on to the prophets. What did the prophets do? They said, hey, they redirected Israel. You have lost your identity. You have lost your way. So I'm going to redirect you back. So do we lose nations and all that, or do they reaffirm that promise? Let's look. Isaiah 49, 6. And it says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back the, those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. It is too small a thing to be consumed with self. Is basically what he's telling the Israelites. You have been so in focus. You have forgotten your purpose. You have forgotten that you are to be a conduit for all these other nations, these Gentiles, all these other people groups around you. You've become so inward focused that you've forgotten who you're really supposed to be. Can we identify with that? Mm -hmm. Just think about it. So here I am. God has called me to be a conduit to the nations, and likewise, he has called you, because that is his story. So the prophets are redirecting back. Do we lose this in the New Testament? I don't believe so. Shall we look? Okay. So Jesus comes, and he, as we know, is the seed that is promised to Abraham, right? But another controversial thing I'm going to say Jesus was not the fulfillment of the promise. Ooh. Okay, let's look at the word fulfillment. Full. Is the whole world fully blessed? No. I wouldn't say we've entered that realm yet. We have a way because of Jesus. He is the way to the promise. Why do I say this? Let's look at Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. Another very famous verse. Mm -hmm. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay. So, if Jesus finished the work, we're all done. Yay! But what does Jesus do before he goes to heaven? He passes it on to us. No, I have established my church so that you may continue this purpose. You may continue my story. Through you, the whole world will be blessed. So therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, all these languages, all these peoples, 
they still need to know that they can be blessed in their identity through Christ. I want to delve a little bit deeper into this. Uh, and if you have ever heard of Charles Porter, he's one of our wonderful missionaries. He's in residence at NCU, North Central University right now, teaching on this. And he breaks it down like this. Therefore, go and make. What do we think about when we hear that? We think about the going, right? Therefore, go. In my calling, specifically, God called me to pick myself up and go. But the imperative, what is emphasized in this sentence is not go. In the original, it is make. So, as you go, make. As you go, as you live your lives, make disciples. Be that conduit. As people see you, they see Christ. That is our calling. As they look at this church, as you go, make disciples. Be that conduit. The fulfillment of the promise. I think we're doing good here. Okay. So, are you all following me? Is this good? Mm -hmm. Okay. So this is God's story. This is how we have to present ourselves and why I present myself the way that I do in Cambodia. So, as I said, if we started with John 3.16, they see all those barriers. But if we start at the beginning and tell the story, and then as we know their stories, uh, wonderful missionary Jean Johnson, she's from Minnesota, originally one of uh, the original missionaries in Cambodia, found that there is a story in the Cambodian culture about a king who their country was taken over by another kingdom and the story goes that the conquering king is talking to the uh, Cambodian king saying, hey, I will let your people go for as long as you can hold your breath. So, the Cambodian king is, can I hold your word on this? Is this true? And the other king says, yes. So Cambodians uh, in the ancient times would have a top knot. And so what the Cambodian king did is in the pool, he tied his top knot to the bottom of the pool and therefore drowned. So it is example that the Cambodians would see that here's a story of a king, and then you ask him, okay, was that king wrong? Was that king evil? Did that king do wrong? No. They understand the sacrifice. And then you can make the parallel. Okay, once again, this is contextualization. That Okay, here's this king. I know this king. A king that loved his people so much that he sacrificed himself for his people. So knowing these stories and getting ingrained in the culture and that context is so very important. And likewise, knowing the story of God. Okay, so we have God giving us the promise. How are we going to fulfill this? I think that's what the original Christians uh, were thinking. Uh, Jesus is gone now. His disciples are left behind. We saw him raised to heaven. Uh, and then, but Jesus goes on. He says, I will give you help. You're not on this on your own. But wait here for a moment. Stay in Jerusalem. Why? Because he's about to give the Holy Spirit. And that is another reason why I love being a part of the Assemblies of God. We are seeing phenomenal growth overseas. And I wholly attribute this to the fact that we are people of the Spirit. We do not run around with our heads chopped off trying to go after every little thing. The tendency is to do that. There are so many different things that we could do. 
but we try to be intentional and strategic, listening to the Spirit, listening to God whisper to our hearts, this is where I need you to go. This is who I need you to minister to. And so that is why I believe the Assemblies of God is seeing massive growth overseas. We were given the Holy Spirit. Why? Once again, not for us. It is to be empowered for them so that we can be a conduit to the rest of the world. The Holy Spirit came to empower, to equip us for that process. Why? So we can fulfill this promise. How do I know that we are going to fulfill this? Well, first of all, let's look at Romans. Uh, let's look at Romans 10, 14, and 15. So how will we fulfill this? Well, here's Paul saying, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? That makes sense. How will the other languages, people, groups, nations know if they have not heard? So, moving on. How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Okay. So, yes, some are called and consecrated, set apart to go. Why? Access. I love uh, the word that's being passed around right now, is access. There are countries that don't have any access to the good news. So it's just basic. How do you get this good news to them? Well, you send somebody that knows the good news to them. There you go. So, spread. Don't just stay here in Jerusalem. Spread to Judea and the other ends of the earth. And here we are in America. We're on the other end of the earth. We are the benefactory of this good news. But here, once again, I don't believe that the whole world is blessed yet. The whole world has not heard this good news. So we still are sending. We are still going. Empowered by the Spirit to fulfill this mission. Mission. Ever wonder where we get the word missions? Mm -hmm. God's mission. God's story, God's plan, if I may. So, how will they hear unless somebody is sent? And I do know that there is an ending, because we have the wonderful book of Revelation. Now, this is a prophetic book. It is not, well, okay, many different theories on what it means. But what I do know, through the image of Christ, we can see that there is a plan. Why? Because it says in Revelation 5-9, at the end of the age, and they sang a new song, saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seal because you were slain. And with your body, you purchased for God persons from every tribe, language, people, and nation. So at the end of the age, all coming together and saying, God, Jesus, you are worthy because you have reached every tribe, tongue, and nation with who you are so that they can know what their true identity is. And then verse, uh, 20, or chapter 22, verse 17, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And here we are at the end. I told you. Hey, hey, hey. So what does it say? It says, the spirit and the bride say come. And let the one who hears say come. 
Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take from the free gift of the water of life. Think of a wedding. Here we are, the marriage supper of the Lamb at the end of the age. And what do they do? Their invitation's out to all. Whoever wants, come. How dare we, those with the knowledge of the promise, keep that from them? That there is a God with a free invitation saying, come. I don't care who you are, where your life was, if you are thirsty, if you are searching, come and drink deep. Join in this marriage supper, this feast, this celebration for all eternity. And that is the message of hope. If there's anything that I know this society needs now, it is a message of hope and unconditional love. And that is who Christ is. That is who Christ came to be. And that is who we get to be. So I look at, back at Romans, and I am privileged that I get to be the one that brings that good news. How blessed and how fortunate am I that I have the opportunity to go and bring this good news, this story, God's story, to a people that have never heard it before. I am so honored and so blessed. And once again, I thank you as a congregation for sending me. Because how will they hear if I am not sent? Thank you. Thank you, Mike. I love...